It's not yet eight o'clock. We'll wait a few seconds. This week's parashat Tadzria and the parasha that follows it, Mitzorah, are largely about Mitzoraim or the illness of a Mitzorah, which is usually described as some form of of leprosy. Now, in these two parashiyot, the Torah teaches us that leprosy can be discovered first on the body of a of a human being, second on the clothes that he wears, and third in the walls of the house in which he lives. And many many uh, uh, interpretations are uh, brought to bear to understand why the Torah has to tell us that much information and and tell us about uh, where exactly the kind of uh, uh, leprosy will will be found. And the detail is often a little bit trying, a little bit hard to understand why the Torah uh, did that. But besides talking about the illness itself and diagnosing the particular places that that illness might be found, the Torah is also concerned to tell us the role of the Kohen, the role of the priest in this process of identifying, caring for, and finally uh, freeing the person from the illness that he had and sending him back into the regular world. So the Kohen is very important in this process as the Kohen is the one who understands what the illness is, can read the signs that the illness leads behind, and most importantly, can determine when that illness is gone, and that's about all of these things: the body of the, a body of a person, the clothing that he wears, and the house that he lives in. All of they, all of those places come under the scrutiny of the kohen, and he has the authority to decide. He has the authority to decide whether that authority is mystical, or it comes from experience, knowledge, and and an enterprise that he has put in is not perfectly clear, but I don't think there's anything really wrong with saying that the Kohen learned what it is he is supposed to do, and he knows the combined uh, information that came down to him in uh, in his family, for example. That's the Kohen. Now, stories about Sarat appear in several places in the in the Tanakh. We know that uh, for Moshe Rabbeinu, one of the signs he was given to go to Paro with was to put his hand into his cloak and out he come with with signs of Sarat on it. Right? Sarat was kind of a formidable vision. He didn't want to see Sarat, apparently, and it was like... Uh, I guess it was a little like COVID, but I can't tell you exactly how. And uh, we also remember that Miriam was punished with the, the Tzarat. I mean, she spoke ill about her brother, Lashon Hara. Moshe Rabbeinu is her brother. And she was punished. 
And her punishment was that she also was afflicted by by Tzarat. And so somehow we're missing the story, you know, like if things in the Torah, I mean, what do I do today? I mean, how do I kind of get that story to be integrated somehow in my world view of things? I mean, how do I, how am I supposed to understand it where certainly uh, the treatment of Mitzorahim, uh, of people who are in that category, lepers, is given over today to doctors. And, and what am I to do with these parashiyot in the Torah, which are quite definitive and teach me that, um, that these uh, sicknesses will give way to the ministry of the Kohen. Something that we're just missing, I think. So there's a story in the beginning of the first chapters of Malachim Bet. We're concentrating here on chapter 5, which is the story of Naaman. Story of Naaman, the story is self-explained. So let's look at the at the chapter and we will be able to uh, understand a little bit more what this is about. So Naaman, you see the first pasuk, Tsar Tzava Melech Aram, Aya Ish Gadol, Lifdei Adonav. Naaman, he was a general. He was a general, he was a fighting general, not, you know, one of these Russian generals, but a fighting general. And he was an Ish Gadol. I mean, again, you know, these words, we understand the words, but we don't know exactly what they mean. But Ish Gadol, if they had enough, means that he was, he was noted. They knew about him. Nisupadim. He carried his face around, right? <laughs> he was, he, he looked good. He knew that he was good. Because through him, Hashem gave victory to Aram. And he was, he had this affliction called Sarat. I mean, he did whatever he did. He apparently did it very successfully, but he was leprous. He was a leper. He he was a Gibor Chayel Mitzorah. So somehow uh, that was bothersome. It was an imperfection. I mean, what exactly? I mean, you have to remember, we're talking about a non-Jew. We're talking about Sarzaba Melech Aram, an army, army personality who was working for the king of Aram, certainly not Jewish. There was something special about him. Because he was not only well thought of, not only highly regarded, but but God uh, enabled him to be victorious. I, I don't understand what God they were talking about. That that you came up. Okay, that sounds like the God that we know about, Chu'ala Aram, I mean, how'd that happen? And we'll see that one of the themes, the hidden themes in this story of Naaman is that 
as far as Naaman is concerned, any God that works things out for him is a good God and he's going to worship him. It doesn't, there's no exclusivity in when it comes to the gods that we are talking about. Pasuk Bet. So the Arameans went out to battle group by group. And they uh, took away, they they conquered a, 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 a young girl. And she, her job was working for Mrs. Naaman. Working for Mrs. Naaman. So we're going to encapsulate the whole story, which might uh, itself be worthy of, of looking into. But she said, She's, she's, I, there's a there's a navi. I mean, she apparently understood. They understood this language. She said navi, and Mrs. Naaman said, "Oh, I know what that is, navi." Asher b'shomron in the northern part of Eretz Israel. As he has sovoto mitzarato, and he can do it. He can take care of the tzarat, and 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 he'll be healthy. Pasuk dalid vayevavay aged la donav lemor. So she misses Naaman. She's a clever woman. She doesn't go to tell Naaman what to do or that he, what decision he should come to, but she just says to him, you know, this little girl who comes from Eretz Israel, she said such and such. But okay. Sefer El Melech Yisrael. So the king gets into it, and he's selling. He's sending Naaman to the. I'll I'll write a letter. Write a letter to Melech Yisrael. I mean, after all, kings usually think that kings are in charge. So, of course, Naaman figured to be shades of Bilam and Balak. Yeah, figured that, you know, if he does it, he's going to want money. So he took along a lot of money with him, right, without going into the exact amounts. Pasuk Vava Yahweh And he brought this Sefer, which is a kind of a letter that the king of Aram wrote to the king of Yisrael, I'm telling you, the king of Aram says, I've sent you Naaman, my servant. That's a high level of praise. Bring his sarat to an end. That's what the king of Aram wants from the king of Yisrael. Of, of Yisrael. Pasuk Zion. Pasuk Zion. And when Melech Yisrael read this letter that he was that he received, he tore up his clothing.
תאונה ראו כי מתענהו לי. So the king of Israel thought that the king of Aram was like just putting him on and saying, let's see you do this, let's see you cure this, uh, uh, not, not even thinking for a moment that he would be able to do so. Not thinking that he would be able to do so. Okay. And Elisha, Elisha, as I told you, or maybe I didn't tell you, Elisha was the Talmud and successor of Eliyahu Anabi. He was a student and he was a successor. And Elisha, in certain ways, was even a greater prophet than Eliyahu Anavi, though in the tradition Eliyahu Anavi takes uh, takes the priority. So it says in the pasuk we Kishma Elisha the prophet, Isha Elokim the the, the, no. the person who is connected no. to God, Kikara Melech Yisrael et Begadav, that the king of Israel ripped up his clothes, Vayishlachel Amelech Leimor Lava Karata Begadecha. Why did you tear up your clothes in act of of mourning? I mean, you were mourning about something that probably wouldn't happen. Tell him to come to me. And then he will know that there is a Navi Yisrael. In other words, the king of Aram wrote to the king of Israel, and said, do something about this. Cure him. The king of Israel was in a state of fear because he didn't think he could do it. He didn't think he would be successful in curing and curing Naaman. And of course, if he was not if he's not successful for curing Naaman, then who knows what the implication might be. Right? He sent all this uh, all this gold and silver and clothing, right? So Elisha heard about what was going on. Look at Elisha. See Pesachet again. That's a synonym for Navi. Synonym. I mean, you have to think about why sometimes you use one, one phrase and sometimes another. He heard that the king of Israel was mourning. He ripped up his clothing. And he sent this message to the king of Israel. What are you nervous about? Why are you unhappy? Send him to me. So suddenly, suddenly we see a kind of a struggle between the king of Israel and the prophet of Israel. And the issue is, who is going to save the nation? It's not about Naaman. And it's not about his leprosy. That was just the way the story went. But the issue was, who is going to save the people of Israel? That was they knew 
that if Naaman was not satisfied, they knew that if he was not able to uh, to come back to the king of Aram and show him that his leprosy had been cured, they would be in, in, in great difficulty. And the king of Israel was not certain that he could do it. How could he do it? Along comes Elisha, and Elisha says, V'yeda ki Israel. Which is a way of saying, way of saying that Naaman will know that even though Malchut in Israel is not sufficient to take care of the Aramean's needs, there is a prophet in Israel who can. And that's a political as well as a religious statement. When you say, Ki yesh Yisrael, you mean the Navi fills that vacuum that's left by the king. If the king can't do it, the Navi can do it. Don't worry. So he's saying that to Naaman. Naaman b'suso b'susav where the kid Naaman is no fool, he's not going to go to see Elisha on his own. He's coming with a little army, right? He's coming with a with a with a little army. He came to uh, Elisha's house. He came to Elisha's house. Petachabayit. And Elisha sent a messenger. Malach. I mean, every time the word Malach is used in in Hebrew, I mean, it's possible to think in terms of an angel. And I would say that the use of the word Malach should always be looked at carefully. I mean, it's true that the word Malach means a messenger. It's true that a messenger doesn't have to be an angel. All of that is true, nevertheless, there's another word in Hebrew which could be used, the word shalich, which is unambiguous. So that you could imagine that if a person takes the trouble to use a more ambiguous word, that there might be some reason for that. So I'm leaving that, uh, leave that aside, right? Again, Elisha, he's not the king, but he's nobody's fool. He's not going to go himself. He's not going to go and walk to to Naaman, uh, the king. And sort of like the king is on a horse and he'd be walking by foot. He doesn't want that. He sends a malach. He sends a malach. The confrontation between Elisha and Naaman has not yet happened. So it's not clear. It's not clear. When he said, wash seven times in the Yardane, dunk seven times in the Yardane, in the Jordan River, and then your your uh, skin will turn healthy again. It'll be, it'll be good. It'll be pure. Like Tzofna, Amanda, Yelech, 
Vayikzov Naaman Vayilach. Naaman was angry by Yomer. Hinea Marta, Marti, Eli. Yetzei Yatzov Amad. Go out. Stand there. Vikara Veshem Hashem Elokav. Veinif Yedo Elamakom. Vasaf HaMetzara. So there was some kind of a of a meeting between them. Alotov Amana Ufarpar Naharot Damesek Mikol Meme Yisrael Alor Chatzba Ebet Aharti Vayiven Vayiven Vayelech Vachema. This sounds to me like a really a really good uh, kind of reaction on the part of. Of Naaman, Naaman says, Naaman says, uh, I mean, you know, this water is like water. We've got a lot of water in uh, Aram, in my country. So we've got, we've got, uh, and he was angry. He was angry. He said to you, they, all his people came and said, go and wash and you'll become, you'll become pure again. He went down and he dunked in the Jordan like he was told by the Isha Elohim, right? Which means that he didn't know him as a Navi, but he knew him as a man of God. I mean, he didn't know that at first, but he knew that now. But Yashov Bisaro, Kipsar Narkatan Vigitar, he knew that. Narkatan Vigitar. So, so, so there's a kind of a confrontation here between Naaman and Elisha, where Naaman is skeptical because he doesn't see the godliness in, in, uh, in Elisha. But when the people, his people come to tell him, like, just give it a try. I mean, we went all this way. We came, we came for this uh, man's advice. Let's take it. And he went back to the man of God, to Elisha. And so Naaman makes this little speech. Now I know. So Naaman comes to some kind of positive conclusion, positive for us. Like, you know, oh, here even Naaman is in favor of the Hebrew God. <laughs> take all this, take a bracha, you know, take a bracha. You bet money. I want to give you a lot of money. 
ויאמר חי השם אשר עמדתי לפניו ומקח ויבצר בו לקחת ויאמר אין איש שסס לא נתקני אניפיג התבגדים תתקת ותפיל גוד ויאמר אין אני זד נו ויאמר נאמן לא יותן נא לעבדך מסעת סמד פרדים אדמה כי לא יעשה עוד עבדך עולה וזבח לאלוהים אחרים כי אבל השם סודלמן סד אם תקח כל פסוק י"ח לדבר הזה יסלח השם לעבדך בבוא אדוני בית רימון להשתרבות שמה והוא נשען על ידי והשתרבתי בית רימון והשתרבתי בית רימון יסלח להשם לעבדך בדבר הזה. אלישה רפיוזס, היא קטיגיוס רפיוז לתק אניפינג ואיז אופד ויאמר לו לך לשלום וילך מאיתו כברת ארץ. I mean, it could be, it could be that Elisha realized that the relationship had grown too strong, that there was no way for this relationship between Elisha and Naaman to be actually, no. uh, to, to become something, to no, be no, made no, into no, something, because it would only be confusing Okay. To have a Naaman or having a group of Naaman, groups of Naamanin who are kind of listening positively to the words of God, that, that wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good. And there's, there's always this problem, you know, the Jews, uh, if we have managed in the course of history to spread the work of the, the, the words of Torah, even to non-Jews, though I think we're happy about that. But we don't need the non-Jews to come kind of be in our midst. We know that the uh, Chazal, that Moshe Rabbeinu allowed the Erev Rav, uh, the non-Jews in Egypt to come along with Am Yisrael that they escaped. And it was recorded, it was recorded as being, you know, a mistake. They're the ones who kind of encouraged B'nai Yisrael to build the golden calf. So that left us, you know, here in, the, in this story with a kind of contradictory or, or an issue that is hard to resolve. And that is if you find a person or people who are positive and good and not uh not really involved in the same religious uh lessons that you're involved in it's very hard to create an ongoing relationship with them i mean we know everybody knows it even even uh even if you have a sibling who's not on the same page as you are that often creates difficulty educating your children educating yourself doing what you should have so so there, there's a story but there's a backstory 
in this story, before we get to the to the third part of it, there's a backstory. The backstory in the story is like you see that the king of Israel, the king of Israel is being pushed away, being pushed away by the by the prophet. And you know that the prophet has no power, no real power. His only power is the the use of of words in order to try to convince people to move in one way or the other. And here we have Naaman, Naaman representing the person who's looking for power. And of course, he turns first to the king of Israel. He turns at first to the king of Israel and and, uh, the king who is rendered powerless by his request that he he becomes a mourner. He becomes a mourner in Israel. The king of Israel becomes a mourner. <clears throat> Alicia volunteers to take up the challenge that the king knew he would be unable to fulfill. So you have here an interesting, right, an interesting sidebar during the the time of the Shoftim, which where there were no kings in Israel, there were not yet any kings in Israel. But from time to time, from time to time, there was a charismatic leader who brought us who brought us into battle usually victorious every 40 years or so. But that did not create a community that was led by a king or strong political leadership. And and the next powerful leader that was born in Eretz Israel was the Navi. And the Navi started, the first Navi was Shmuel, the first of those Naviyim that was not connected to a political party and not connected to territory, that was Shmuel. And Shmuel, Shmuel is the subject of the books of Shmuel, and Shmuel tried to prevent uh, the establishing of a kingship, of bringing a king into into the picture. He was not successful and in fact, God determined that there should be a king. And yet, the power of the Navi did not wane entirely. And that power is noticed in this story through the relationship between the Navi, the king, and of course, Naaman. And you see that in this story, it's the king that that is unable, the king is unable to perform the necessary action that would protect his kingship and enable him and enable him to rule. It's only the prophet 
that was able to fulfill this demand that Naaman and the king of Aram made. And so in, in this story, even though there is a king in Israel, the king does not outdo the prophet. And even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Shmuel Hanavi, no, let's have a king. And Shmuel Hanavi was strongly opposed. In spite of that, the king was, was anointed king. That was, at first it was Saul, and then it was King David. That uh, even though he was anointed the king of Israel, the Navi did not lose power. And in the course of things, in the course of things, the loss of power was first the loss of the power of the Kohen. Loss of the power of the Kohen. So it's not hard to understand that what this story indicates is that the power of the Kohen to deal medically or mystically with the illness of leprosy was gone. I mean, there is no Kohen in the story of Naaman. It's just the king and the Navi who are left. And that was because that in the course of time, the Kohanim, I don't know about Bayatri Shon specifically, but in Bayatri certainly, and and the future, the Kohanim represented the corruption of the system. They were Kohanim, and the Kohanim raised the money, but they also they also were corrupt. They were also corrupt at uh, the time uh, of Shmuel Hanavi. Eli, the Kohen, had sons who were corrupt. So by the time you get to Naaman, it would seem that the Kohanim had kind of moved back, were unable to perform. They were unable to perform, and therefore, it, it was, there is this idea, this idea that the, the miraculous nature of things can be expected if we deserve it. It's like the, the Gemara says, Mishirabu uh, ha-mena'afim pasku me'sota. Me'sota is if a, if a man thinks that his wife might have been dallied, dalliance with another man, but you don't have witnesses who can, who can indicate that. Um, you give her this potion to drink. If she's guilty, she dies. And if she's innocent, she dies. And then everybody is happy because you now know. You know that she was either guilty or innocent. So that's a wondrous thing. People, people can't really live with that kind of doubt. Or that kind of, so the Gemara says, But if we're living in a time when family life is corrupt and people are not willing uh, to live according to the dictates of the Torah, then the Mesota, these these magical waters are not going to, then it's not going to work. 
they're not going to work. So it could be that the Kohanim, who fell into some kind of corrupt pattern, so those kind of Kohanim, the the ability to deal with Sarat disappeared. And it may have just been passed, it may have been passed off to the uh, uh, to the Navi, maybe been passed off to the Navi. Let's try to finish. There's another story. Just another story by Yom uh, here. They split. Elisha and Naaman. This is a good news story about somebody named Gehazi. He was Elisha's man. And Elisha here is called Isha Elokim. this great idea. You, he says, he says, Elisha, he didn't want to take any money. But I'm happy to take it. I mean, I'm the, I'm the assistant. I mean, uh, how many times did this happen in history? So Naaman sees Gehazi running after him. He fell off of the chariot. Vayomer, Ashalom, is everything all right? Naaman to Gehazi. Vayomer, Shalom, Adonai, Shlachani, Lemor. He says, my master, Elisha, has sent me to say, I have like a new obligation. Beneha Nevi'im, the ones who are studying to be Nevi'im, who are part of the Chaburav Nevi'im, Give them some uh, silver and 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 two uh, two articles of clothing. So there you go, Gehazi. He's the real winner here. Now he says, "Here, take take some silver, take some clothing. It's that, that's great." By Yavo El, Ovel, by Kachmi Adam, by Evkod Bebayit, by Shalachet Anashim, by Yelchu. Hey Gehazi, he said, "I took it, sent the people away." Who Baba Yamodel Adonav, by Yom Elav, Elisha. Elisha man me'ayin kechazi. Me'ayin kechazi. Where are you coming from? You're all like dusty and dirty and sweaty. No, I didn't, I really didn't go anywhere. Huh? He did. Did he catch him? He caught him. Pasuk Kavzayin v'tzara at Naaman tidbak becha 
was punished very severely. He got it. He got the Tzarat that Naaman left behind. And uh, the way that Elisha says it, Tzarat Naaman did olam. That's a pretty kind of uh, tough sentence that Gechazi, Gechazi received. But he did it. He received that punishment because Gechazi wanted to deny the superiority of the prophecy of, of Elisha. He wanted to create a situation, to create a situation where Elisha would be seen as, as not being such a great miracle man, of doing it just for the money, because he wasn't going to tell anybody that he was the one who went to get the money. So he was going to let people think that Elisha, that, uh, no, I'm sorry, that, uh, yeah, that Elisha was the one who told him to go and get the money, which is the way it usually, it usually is. So that... Uh, that you see another reason, another rationale for separating, separating the world, the world of uh, of Elisha from the world of Naaman, because if they were together, if they were together, the way Naaman understood the world was that when you ask something from God, you gave you gave money, and Elisha came from a different world. Right? When you ask for something from God, you did it for a good reason. You had to have a, a powerful reason. So we see that even though, just to summarize for a moment, even though the parashiyot of Tazri and Mitzorah are parashiyot that give a superiority to the Kohen, to enable the Kohen to be the one who makes the judgment and affects the cure, of the sickness called Tzarat, whether it's on the person, on his clothes, or on his house. The Kohen is the one who does it. We see that at the time of Elisha, who was the Talmud of Eliyahu, that Elisha is the one, Elisha is the one who is the, uh, is the one who takes that position. He becomes the Kohen, and the Kohen, for somehow, some reason, loses out on his position. It may be, as we've seen ultimately, that the Beit HaMikdash became a center of corruption, and therefore, and therefore, the uh, the prophet was uh, became the leading personality, even greater than the kings of Israel. At that time, Tov, have a good Shabbos. All the best to you. Good Shabbos. Shabbos, Rabbi. Thank you.